Hosanna, a fellowship of Christians. Yes, absolutely. Hope you're having a wonderful beginning to the day. We're going to have, we're going to have a great day. And the week as well. Would you stand, please? Uh, the, the word Hosanna means God saves, and God is saving us. So let's sing together, Hosanna. Praise is rising. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to you. We turn to you.
Lord. He's good. Amen. God, you are good. Thank you so much. He is the vine and we're the branch.
And even when it is roses, sometimes you get stuck on a thorn, don't you? We have good days. We have bad days. We have good times. We have bad times. Sometimes we trip and fall. You're welcome. Sometimes it's harder to get up when we trip and fall. Sometimes it's easier to get up. For those of us who are a little older, and I'm talking about myself right here, it's a little harder to get up. <laughs> you don't get up quite as quickly or quite as fast. I don't always want to sit on the floor with my granddaughter. I would rather sit in the chair. <laughs> and it's kind of fun to watch her sit with her legs sprawled like frogs. And my legs would break in about 20 different pieces if I tried something like that. That'd be absolutely crazy. It's kind of fun to watch the little ones do that. And we realize that's not us anymore. <laughs> but, you know, here's the great thing. <clears throat> you know, it bothers me when I hear people pray and ask God to be with them. It saddens me really more than anything else. Because there are an awful lot of people out there who don't realize that God is with them all the time. The good days, the bad days, it really doesn't make any difference. God is with us. We're walking through the fire. We're going through the water. Or if we're spending six hours with a granddaughter at Dutch Wonderland. <laughs> Getting tired out. He's there. So just remember, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, God is always there.
other a smile. Say hello to each other. Greet one another. of August. Hello, Jared. We have come to the time of the year um, that is back to school time. And some of you have started, right? There's some head shaking no over this side, but uh, it is back to school time. And uh, we like to take a moment to pause at this time of the year to, to recognize and also pray for our students and adults that are involved in uh, any part of um, schools and education. So Jared and I are going to um, pray, but we would like you to come up here today. So if you are a student, 
No, no, no is not an option. No is not. But if you are a student, Jared, go get them. And um, <laughs> thank you. They'll listen to him. Um, adults working in schools, teaching, uh, feeding students, as a cafeteria, school bus drivers, school board members, um, aides, adult students. We can, we can be a student at any point in our life. In fact, I think we're all students as we continue to go. Maintenance, anything, please come up. I'm going to see some people coming, and I appreciate that. And, and any age group, on up from little ones in preschool, on the way up to college professors, um, come on up. And the way Jared and I thought we would do it this year, and, and first of all, let me say also, to those of you who are online that fit any of these categories, these prayers are for you as well. So we're glad that you are joining us. Stand up, Tanya says. Stand up if you can where you are and receive the blessing. So Jared and I talked, and we decided to do it just a little bit differently this year. Jared is going to pray for all the students, and I'm going to pray for all the workers. And we're going to do it that way today. So, Thanks, Kelly. All right, if everybody could join me in prayer here. Um, Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for everybody here in our community and all of our students and all of, I'm, I'm focusing on the students today, I remember that. Um, God, just, I just want to lift everybody up this year and with, a, with your divine safety, we just pray for that as, uh, as everyone's traveling to school, as everyone's at school, as everyone's dealing with um, all the emotional stuff that comes at school. Father, um, and sports. Uh, Father, I just pray for just a blanket of safety over everybody, that everything would go according to plan, and there would be no my major emergencies this year. If anybody's dealing with any sickness this year, Father, I pray that, that you'll just come in and you'll just bring some miraculous healing to them, uh, that they don't have to worry about that burden. Um, and Father, as we sung about in uh, the song this morning, I just pray that um, as we look to you, that we would find strength for each new day, that all the students here would be able to face everything that there is to face at school with, uh, with vigor and uh, be able to face their what they, <laughs> the responsibilities of um, their studies and face all the emotional and maybe the bullies at school. Um, Father, I just give them strength to be able to go and have a great year. Loving God, uh, in addition to all the blessings and prayers for our students, we also thank you for all the adults who help students in such a variety of ways each and every day, and we lift each of them up to you as well. God, um, we know what important life work this is to work with students, and now everyone here um, that works in schools, that's online, that works in schools, how successful or how important they are to the success of the operation of schools and of how students learn. Help these school workers to trust in you and their love and your love for them. As they approach each day, may it be with wisdom, strength, excitement, even on days when they're tired, love and grace. May they also have this grace for themselves when times are trying or their energy is low and they need to dig deep to, um, to, to give their energy to the students that they interact with. Comfort them when they become overwhelmed or anxious and fill them with a joy that is so great that the students see it and it ignites in the students a desire to learn. We pray that all those who work with children know their work matters even on days where that is hard to see. Keep them all safe, healthy, and focused on the great responsibility that they have. 
And God, finally, help them to be your hands and feet here on this earth through their teaching, helping, listening, developing curriculum, making decisions, cleaning, driving students, feeding students, working with parents, and having fun with students. May this year be a year of joy for all those here, and we ask blessing upon blessing upon everyone here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give everyone a round of applause up here. We wish you all a wonderful school year. Thanks. Kids are invited this time to Kidventure Youth to Youth Group at this time. I feel positive about the school year after that, so I hope that that, is, uh, that blessing walks with each of you. So my name's Kelly, as uh, many of you know, and I'm here today to do the announcements. Before we do that, um, the ushers are ready to take the offering, so join me in, in another moment of prayer here just so we can pray over the gifts that we're about to receive. Heavenly Father, you bless us with many things. You bless us with um, family and gifts, and um, we give some of that back to you today. We give gifts back to you, and we just ask that, that um, they are used to your work. And I just want to pray, Father God, too, for everybody here today, that um, as they go through this day, that maybe they can be focused on the gifts that they offer, whether it's monetary or time, that everything is important, and we give that all back to you, Father God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a few announcements for today. Um, today is the last day, because we're in the last Sunday of um, August, which is hard to believe. It's the last day to bless Bridge of Hope through our Change for Change offering. So if you have any loose change, please throw that in the bucket back there. For the month of September, we'll switch our focus, and we will be helping Harry and Penka's Resurrection Church in Bulgaria with Christmas gifts for their community. Um, we're, not, we're getting close to Christmas. I know, it's a, it sounds crazy, but uh, we want to start thinking ahead for that and be able to bless them richly. So if you have some change, drop that in the bucket would be great. Also today, the adult class We Just Disagree, led by Joanne and Tony, continues today following the service in the Blue Room. I walked by there last week. It's a really nice crowd. Um, I know there's great discussion going on in there, so feel free to come and join them for We Just Disagree. Also, there's two other groups that are starting, and if you stop by the Welcome Center, there will be sign-up sheets for that. And if you sign up, it's, it's helpful for us. Just If you just wander in, that's okay, too. But if you sign up, it's helpful for us to know. And those two groups are the Story Carriers, which I believe is a writing group. That will be um, the sign-up out at the Welcome Center. And also, if you'd like to be part of a spiritual formation group, um, there's a sign-up up there as well. I saw some of you carrying this around with you. If, you, if not, if you check your mail slots, you will see this green calendar in your mail slot. And this is something new we're starting this month. It's going to be happening every month, and it's our church calendar. So people learn and remember things in various ways. You can see this online, but not all of us go online and, and look at it. So we wanted to give you a hard copy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so here it is. Hard to miss. Put it on the refrigerator. You can see what's going on every, every day and every week here at Hosanna. Excuse me. And um, you'll get one of these every month. So please check your mail slot, and it is in there. Uh, finally, I just want to give kind of a little shout-out to two upcoming KidVenture events we have coming up. One is in October, Friday, October 13th. We're going to be having a KidVenture night here at the church. It's going to be pizza, trivia, and games with Chris Poget. So I'm, so, I'm really excited about that. We haven't even really put that out yet. Uh, this is just kind of a save-the-date announcement. So Friday, October 13th, we'll be having KidVenture night. And then I'm back to Christmas again. I guess it's that time of year we keep 
thinking about Christmas, but uh, December 9th, we're going to be having a family Christmas event. Last year we did gingerbread, I don't know where to stand. Um, <laughs> last year we did gingerbread bash, if you remember me talking about that, and that was just a, a really great success and a fun Saturday morning. We're doing something a little bit different um, from gingerbread bash this year, but it will be equally as fun. So stay tuned for more information about that, but that will be December 9th. So I believe that's all I have. So with that, Tony's going to come up. I'm really disappointed. Yesterday I was actually ticked. We did not get to do the move that I've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. So you're going to help the seminary where Joanne and I work move offices. And the, the guy who was supposed to do the cove molding just canceled on us. So we, it will bookcases and all that. It just didn't make sense. So we rescheduled. Thank you for everybody that signed up. We rescheduled for two weeks out. So Saturday, September 9th. I already know that a third to a half of those who were going to come and help yesterday will not be able to come on that day. So if there are any additional people who are available then that weren't available yesterday, we, could, we would love to use you. But uh, we'll, we'll sort it out. So just want to give you all an update on that. And we'll continue to be, God will be good and we will be flexible. <laughs> okay, let's, you want to come up here and join me or... Um, <laughs> we'll continue to be flexible. No, I thought I would just shout from my seat. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with a story today for the message, like we've been doing the last few weeks in this series. And uh, this one, um, well, let's, let's imagine Apostle Paul. We know a little bit of his life story. He spent his final years in Rome in a prison cell. Even there, probably because of the Roman guards chattering away, he had to have heard about this remarkable woman who was chasing the Roman army all over Britain. One of the most remarkable women of their century. She was queen of the Iceni people. They were a Celtic tribe in southern Britain, and she was ticked. The Celts in Britain had been chafing under Roman rule for over 100 years since Julius Caesar had conquered them, and, but her cause was deeply personal. See, her husband had been the king, the chief of their tribe, and when he died, the Romans flogged her and raped their daughters just to show the, them that uh, they had the power. So Queen Boudicca decided to show them what power she had. She gathered together a ragtag army of Celts, and they marched against the Roman soldiers and just wiped them out. Nobody expected that to happen. These were the Roman legions. They were invincible, and she kept pushing. They backed up to London, Londinium in those days, and she just overran that and burned down the city. Fifty to 70,000 Romans and their allies died because of Queen Boudicca's army here in the first century A.D. The Romans sent some reinforcements. Eventually, they won. Queen Boudicca suddenly died. But perhaps she had the last laugh, because today in London, there is no statue of any Roman emperor, or at least none that I know of, and I've been there, but there is a very prominent one to Queen Boudicca, mm -hmm. a national hero to the British people. Mm -hmm. The name, by the way, may be a nickname. It means victorious woman. So there's another name choice for your children and grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> That's when the Celts really enter the historical record. That's when people started talking and writing about them. They, they came into the record as fierce warriors 
who, incidentally, were not afraid of women in leadership. Very unusual for their time. They were not a tribe. They were a collection of tribes, like the Iceni. And this collection of tribes shared a common culture and sometimes a common language, and they were scattered all over Europe. Mm-hmm. Another tribe of Celts, this I find fascinating, the Gauls, they gave their name. Can we see the map here? This is awesome. They gave their name to what is later called France. In those days, it was called Gaul. And um, mm-hmm. you might be able to see one of the arrows pointing to them. And the Gauls also gave their name to Galicia, which is in western Spain. So there's another arrow pointing. And the Gauls also gave their name to Galatia, which is in what is now Turkey. And it's the same Galatians who were in the Bible. The Paul wrote his epistle to. So they were early Celts. Mm-hmm. But the Celts are mostly associated with the British Isles. And that's why there's a circle up there with uh, early England, Scotland, Wales, and most significantly, Ireland. So we think Celts, we tend to think of the Irish. And that's why when Boston decided they needed a pro basketball team, they decided to name their team <laughs> the Celtics. No. They pronounced it wrong. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yes, it is spelled with a C, but... For the, the tribe, we talk about the people, we talk about the Celts. And for the basketball team, you can mispronounce them and call them the Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> last week, we're doing this little study of, uh, of yes. what's, what God has been doing in the past. So last week, we said that in the Middle Ages, three different streams of Christianity arose in three different places among three different groups. So last week, we talked about the post-Romans, we called them, in most of Western Europe, medieval Christianity, the stuff that we perhaps are most familiar with. And uh, next week, we'll look at the other Romans in much of Eastern Europe. But today, as you can tell, we're going to be looking at the non-Romans, the Celts, and why they matter for such a time as this. Okay, so how did these Celtic tribal people become Christian? Well, Origen. Remember Origen from the first week? His mother stole his clothes so he wouldn't go martyr himself. Origen wrote that there were Christians in Britain in the second century. That is very early, right? Considering that Jesus and Paul and the apostles and the book of Acts, were, that was happening in the first century. And more and more towards the end of the first century, Christians were all the way over to Britain by the second century. That's very early. And, you know, historians aren't quite sure how the gospel actually traveled there so quickly. Many of them think that it could have gone with the Roman soldiers who were converting to Christianity within the ranks of the Roman army and then taking the gospel with them wherever it was that they were stationed. That's likely. But there are others who think that because Paul was teaching and wrote that very, that was one of his first letters, very early letter to the Galatians, um, and that emphasis on freedom and equality in Christ. There's no male and female, slave and free. There's, you know, we're all one in Christ Jesus. Very, very, as we'll see, very Celtic. There are many, there are some historians who think that Paul's teaching and letter and this idea of Freedom and equality in Christ spread very quickly through those tribes and through those Celtic peoples and ended up very quickly going into, excuse me, into Britain. Um, We don't know for sure, but what we do know is that once the gospel reached the British Isles, it spread. 
Later on, you know, moving up a couple centuries, because it started spreading slowly, but was more contained in Britain itself, what we call Britain today. But later on, the Celtic church continued to grow into Ireland, into Scotland, into Wales. And it grew through several movements of native missions, native missionaries. Who, so these missions were led in Scotland by Ninia and Columba. And some of these names might be familiar to some of you from history. In Wales, David, Samson, and Iltude, which I like that name, Iltude. Um, in Britain, there was Aidan and Cuthbert and Hilda. And notice male and female. And most famously, of course, Patrick and Bridget in Ireland. Patrick began his mission to the Irish in the year 432. It lasted until his death in 461. That's about, that's less than 30 years, about 28, 29 years. In less than 30 years, though, listen to this, tens of thousands of people were converted, were baptized, converted and baptized. There were about 700 churches planted. About 1,000 priests were ordained in the Celtic church. And it's just remarkable. About 30 to 40 of Ireland's 150 tribes, because as we'll see, these were tribal Celtic people. 30 to 40 or, or more of 150 tribes became substantially Christian without any force or bloodshed. There was none of at the point of a sword kind of thing. No. These missionaries won others to the gospel fairly easily. Why? Because the Celtic culture actually shared so much in common with the teachings of the Bible and the life of Jesus. For example, in Celtic culture, the number three was a magical number. They even spoke in threes. So they loved discovering that God is a trinity. It absolutely made sense to them. They also loved stories and legends, and especially because they were like poet warriors in a way. They, they liked epics of heroism. So Jesus, as both a storyteller and the hero of the story, right? The wounded savior who rose victorious over death. It just grabbed their hearts. It grabbed their imaginations. And so they were very ready to accept this reality, Christianity. And because they loved the natural world, it was natural for them to fall in love with the God who created it with his own breath. They loved that story in Genesis. And not only breathing the breath of life and creating humanity, but then God became flesh, became human, stepped into this creation to be with us. They loved that because they're all about community, as we'll see. And here's a big one. The Celts were used to paradox. So unlike us, they were very prepared to hear all of these paradoxical claims, you know, these things that seemed so contrary in Christianity. They were both idealistic and very practical, just like Christian faith itself. And they loved to learn. So they were just ready. It was just such a good fit with Christianity. By the end of the fifth century, as we saw last week, Rome had fallen. And since the emperor had withdrawn you know, all the troops from Britain, 
brought the troops from the east and the west back to Rome to defend the city, a void was created for the Celtic church to fill. And Christianity just continued to spread rapidly for several centuries without any Roman influence. I mean, Rome and the, the Western church, the Roman church, vacated the premises. So during that time, the gospel was being integrated into every aspect of Celtic Christian life and worship, and the Christian community that developed there was very different from the one that was developing simultaneously in Europe. And yet, as wonderful as all of this was, historically, you know, over time, this new form, this very indigenous form of Christianity, it was almost lost. And that's because in the 7th century, Pope Gregory, we talked about him last week, he's the one who did the chants, you know, whatever. So uh, he sent some missionaries to Britain because there were some new tribes moving in, like the Angles and the Saxons, Anglo-Saxons. So they, uh, so Roman Christianity took root in Britain again. In fact, their home base was Canterbury and still is. That's why that's such a big deal. The Roman tribe, the Roman Christians then, not only trying to evangelize these new tribes, but they also tried to correct the Celts because they thought that the Celtic Christians had gotten some things wrong. And they had these silly disagreements. One of the big ones was what Sunday should Easter be celebrated on? Um, really, they, they, they went at this for decades. They, they, are, they, they calculated, one calculated by the sun and the other calculated by the moon. Yes. Right. And by the way, our answer to that is that Easter is the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Do you that's, know that? how, that's how it got resolved. Well, and the, another <laughs> thing they fought over was what kind of hairstyles the monks should have. Yeah. Seriously. Seriously. <laughs> So this tension came to a head at a synod of Whitby. Let's all get together and let's sort this out. And at the synod of Whitby, the king was there, and the king was listening to the Romans and listening to the Celts. And he heard that the Celtic church was devoted to the apostle John. Why John? Because at the Last Supper, he had leaned on Jesus' chest to listen for the heartbeat of God. But the Roman church was devoted to Peter because the keys to the kingdom. Jesus had given the keys to the kingdom to Peter. That's the way they interpret it. Uh-huh. So the king was persuaded that the one who had the keys was the one in charge, and he ruled in the favor of the Roman church. And so the Celtic church kind of reluctantly submitted to the authority of the Roman church, and a lot of their spirituality kind of went underground. Yep. It stayed alive, fortunately, but not as visible. Celtic teachers became caretakers of spiritual truths and practices, and and this was passed down from one generation to another in a rich oral tradition, particularly in their poetry and their prayers and ordinary life. And then in the 19th century, there's this guy named Alexander Carmichael who revived it. He went around capturing these these poems and these prayers, and he started publishing them, and there was a revival of not just Celtic Christianity, but all of Celtic culture, and that revival has continued to this day. And it's one of the reasons we can talk about the, the Celtic form of Christianity. It also, however, did pop up in a few other places, even in, even in the West. This guy named Francis of Assisi, we might get back to him. But a lot of what he did was very, very similar to what the Celts were doing. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just what was going on in Ireland and Britain. It was also what popping up in a few other places along the way. Yeah, and because part of the missionary activity of the Celtic 
Christians during the seventies. They went and they re-evangelized Europe. That's a whole other story, because the the Roman Church over time got to a place where they thought, you know, these barbarian people they can't really understand the gospel, so they stopped teaching the gospel to them. They st- stopped missionary activity. They fell away. They'd once been Christian. They fell away. And here are these people going from Scotland, from Ireland, you know, from the, the Celtic church to evangelize Europe, re-evangelize Europe. And there's a lot there. There's a great book, Thomas Cahill, How the Irish Saved Civilization. That's really worth reading. Sorry, I had to add that. I'm trying not to. <laughs> trying not We're, to add We things. like the Celts. We You'll love the that. Celts. So, uh, yeah. uh, we'll there are we'll get excited about this. But we'll, it's, yeah. it's, it's your turn. Oh, it's my turn. Yes. So how did all of this affect how they went about trying to know God? Well, it affected everything in their lives. And so how they went about trying to know God is revealed in what they valued most because they actually lived out their values. First, they valued Christ and the cross. Christ was at the center of Celtic Christianity because they saw that Christ was the way into the mystery of the Trinity, and they love mystery. Remember paradox? They like things being ambiguous. So Christ was the way into the mystery of the Trinity, and their understanding of the Trinity was very simple simple and natural, and it was very different from the Western theology at the time, which is more intellectual. Like, this wasn't intellectual. It was more incarnational. So, for example, here's an ancient Celtic Trinitarian statement of faith. Three folds of the cloth, yet only one napkin is there. Three joints in the finger, but still only one finger fair. Three leaves of the shamrock, yet no more than one shamrock to wear. Frost snowflakes and ice, all in water, their origin share, three persons in God, to one God alone, we make our prayer. Okay, how much intellectual, you know, we're, we're seminary professors, so we get it, and we're more Western trained, right? Western Christianity. But, oh my gosh, how, doesn't that say it? It's the wonder of it. It's the mystery of it that's preserved while affirming the truth of it. So Christ at the center of the Trinity opened into the presence of the Holy Spirit, who they saw. This is great. The Holy Spirit's with us, in us, constantly surrounding and walking with us, with every one of us, not just special ones. And the Holy Spirit's offering us gifts and leading in this great adventure of following Christ everywhere. And because they love the wild goose, all right, that was their culture's favorite bird, they imagined the Holy Spirit like a wild goose. That's what they said, the wild goose. But they imagine, and the wild goose, a dove is quiet, right? But a wild goose is honking. So they kind of like that idea. It kind of makes it easier to follow God when the Holy Spirit's right out in front honking honking so loudly that he's easy to follow. They believe that Jesus, too, really did restore the goodness, the tove of creation and humanity. But listen, they also uh, 
They weren't stupid. They lived in the real world. And they also knew that evil was real. So they didn't ignore the brokenness, which is part of the human journey, as well as the goodness and the grace. They knew and trusted God's grace. And they knew that God's grace is what's needed to reclaim and to live in the blessing of God's original goodness. And this was a bit easier for them than it was for most other Christians. Why? Because as Tony explained last week, remember, Roman, the Romans had left Britain and they were developing apart from. So in the fourth century, when Augustine got that idea about Adam and Eve's sin being transmitted to every human being through sexual relations, so we're born sinners, they didn't hear that. Rome had already gone. They didn't know about that. So they recognized, yes, all people are going to be tempted and they're going to sin. That's what humans do. We do. We sin. But we do it by our own choice, not because of a choice that was made a long time ago in the past. It was the likeness and the image of God that they saw in human beings. And what's so beautiful, especially at birth, and I think some of this resonates with us. Again, we're not selling. We're just giving you the history. You guys can decide, you know, where you are on the whole spectrum of theologies. But when we look in the face of a baby, isn't there something in us that isn't seeing a sinner, some depraved little being? Isn't there something about joy and goodness and innocence there? Okay, that's what they saw. They had a saying. They said, when you look into the face of a newborn child, you see the face of God. Now, will that little child grow up and get tempted and say, yes? But as we're entering the world, it's a very different way, you know, of just receiving humanity and human life. And last one in this section. So in all of this, we see they valued Jesus. They, they valued his incarnation, his, his miraculous birth as one of us. And they valued his enti- the entirety of his life and his ministry. They valued the cross, where he died in love for all of us. And they valued his glorious resurrection, which he freely shares with all of those who choose him. They just never got over the wonder of it. They saw in Christ the one who not only redeems and restores, but listen, who is also here with us now, high and lifted up, yeah, but also here with us in our suffering, in our own sorrow, in our own pain. You know, I was thinking when we look at a, a, a baby and we, we, we tend to smile instinctively, don't we? I got two grandkids now. And you put them on the phone or the video or whatever, and I, just, I can just feel the smell is there. And what if, what if they're right about that? What if that's exactly the reaction that we will have instinctively when we see God face to face? What if God is that good that the reaction is smile? And if that, if that seems difficult to imagine, that you could just instinctively smile in the presence of God, then maybe your, your image of God might need to become a little more Celtic. I don't know. They also value the imminence of God. So this is related to that. Yeah. Last week, we noticed that those post-Romans, those Roman Christians, valued the transcendence of God, that God was high and lifted up. They pictured King Jesus sitting on his throne, and, 
And, and, and that's, that's, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's true. And the Celtic Christians acknowledge that. But it was the wonder that God is near to us, yes. that God came to be with us that captured their hearts. And that's, that's what we mean by imminence. That's why they love that story of John laying his head uh-huh. on Jesus' chest to listen to his heartbeat. They saw God as approachable, not somebody to be afraid of. Not somebody yes. for whom, in their, last week we talked about the, the Roman Christians trying to figure out ways to close the gap. The Celtic Christians didn't feel a gap. Mm-mm. God was there already. Intimacy with God was already possible. Yep. They knew that God was ready to listen, to protect, to forgive. And because of the nearness of God with them and this whole community, with the community of saints, that great cloud of witnesses that we keep talking about, yeah. they also valued prayer. Prayer for them was not an exercise that they had to do, a duty or something to close the gap. It was just ordinary conversation. They experienced it as an ongoing conversation with God and God's people that would just continue on into eternity. We're going to talk forever. (laughs) Life is prayer. Prayer is life. Yes. Life was not only lived, it was prayed. And every detail of their lives would give glory to God. So they had prayers for all sorts of things, milking the cow and cleaning the house, and I, every, all the ordinary things, they would just, mm-hmm. the prayers would just be part of the rhythm of how they lived their life. Every yes. ordinary moment was infused with spiritual presence. Yeah. I love it, don't you? The Celtic Church also valued two books, okay, in quotation mark, two books. The first one, as we've already seen, was the book of Scripture, of course. For the Celts, the Bible was the grandest story of all. So these storytellers grafted that grand story into their great oral tradition. And they did some really interesting stuff, meaning they looked back on their history and they they noticed how God had always been present with them even though they didn't know his name. Jesus, always there. God present and working through their own past just as they kind of likened it to the Old Testament story. They said, well, God was with the, the Hebrews and with the Israelites and you know, bringing Christ through that family line through all those generations, and he was with us too. Wow, right? So they were inter- looking back and interpreting their history through that lens. As a result... They saw God's wisdom and truth through a very, very big lens. And it allowed them to love and to believe God's word without becoming overly legalistic about it. Why? Because it was not the law that actually captured their hearts. It was the wonder of grace that captivated them. And they could see grace at work in all times, in all places. Right? So alongside the book of Scripture, Celtic Christians also valued and read the book of creation. That's what Romans 1 says, that God reveals himself through creation, through what he has made. They took that seriously. This aspect of Celtic wisdom, this knowing how to read the book of creation to see God, it is vital for our day, isn't it? There's a lot going on in creation at this moment. Columba once said something about the most fearful sound that he could imagine would be an ax cutting down a tree. All right. 
that's just giving you the heart of that, the Celtic heritage and, and um, like their, their ethos, their sens sensibilities. But the point is that Christians, Celtic Christians, not only love the creator, they loved God's creation itself. There's a historian named Ian Finley, and he wrote, the Celtic church grew up among people who were not builders, who were not tempted to follow a tradition of containing their gods in temples, but felt closer to God, where they felt the wind buffeting their faces and saw the flash of white wings against the sky and smelled the sun-warmed bark of trees. I know among us there are those, that's where you experience God primarily. You come and gather or gather online. We gather together because that's something that we're asked to do as a community and something that allows God to be worshipped not only by one, but by many. But some of you, you feel, you sense God's presence when you're taking a walk in the woods, when you're kayaking on a lake. That's all this is. That's what they're saying. That's what they believed, that God is with us everywhere, right? So for, for Celtic Christians, God was not a distant, angry God. Rather, they embraced the loving creator who entered creation in Jesus and believed, they believed that Jesus' presence had re-sanctified all of creation as it was at the beginning. Biblically, Scripturally, they're right on on that. So they didn't see any split between what was sacred or secular. And that's so important, both their culture and in their church. There was no split between what is sacred and what is secular because all of life was created by God. All of creation was created by God. Jesus came, and all of it's now holy. So this veil between the worlds, right? This veil between the physical and the spiritual realms even. They, they had this, this, I love this, this um, image. And they would say the veil between the worlds is so thin that if you get close and listen like John did, if you get close, you can see the shadows, even of the great ones who have gone, you know, those great cloud of witnesses. You can see the shadows of them. On the veil, you can hear the whispers of God. They said, we can get glimpses of the other side because it's here now. And they called this experience thin places. Thin places. They believed that Jesus had reconciled then all the separations that sin had caused. And that was real. But in Christ, they saw this is all reconciled. So all the dualisms, all the either-or, all the paradoxes, all the opposites, or seeming opposites. All of it was reunified in him. So life for them was blessed. It was to be lived as one whole. And that's our theme this year, one. It's all one. It's to be lived as one whole. So time was not split into like chronos, clock time, or kairos, eternal spiritual time. No, they said it's both and now. Right here in this moment, the clock is ticking, and that's real, and eternity is open. Kairos and Kronos, all both together in this now moment. Solitude and community were not split. 
They were necessary parts of a whole. Masculine and feminine, head and heart. None of that, none of it struggled for dominance because all was necessary. All of it moved together in what they call this great circle dance, like the Trinity itself, you know, perichoresis, remember? We talked about that. The dance that the three members of the Trinity do in which they become and are one. Mystery. And so they had a lot of prayers that were called encircling prayers. And so they would pray, circle me, spirit, protect me, spirit. Patrick's breastplate was um, a very long prayer. Christ in me, Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in my mouth, in every word that I speak, Christ in the eyes of those who see me. It's stunningly beautiful. But that is circling of prayer and protection because, yes, sometimes in this world there is evil and we do need to be protected. Because they valued creation that much and they valued their creator, Mm -hmm. they also valued deep creativity themselves. Celebrating God's creativity is linked with celebrating our own creativity. So their spirituality oozes (laughs) with imagination and with creative expression. There's full of poetry and folklore and music and storytelling, and they were known for their intricate knotwork patterns that depicted the interconnectedness of all, like the one that was up there a moment ago, and the restoration of holiness. They were known for their beautiful standing crosses. We've been showing you these images um, in the PowerPoint as we've been going on. Elaborate metalwork. I wanted to bring one that I had in my office at the seminary, but I didn't get to do that yesterday. Uh, but uh, Celtic, that interwoven thing that's done in metal, it's beautiful. Yep. They talked about worshiping God with the five-stringed harp. What they meant was the five senses. Mm-hmm. So while everybody else is writing books that are filled with words, the Celts basically create, or at least they highly develop, the art of the illuminated manuscript. Why just use words when we can also use pictures? <laughs> Which is why we do this on Sunday mornings here. You don't just don't have to listen. We give you so many words, <laughs> but here's pictures. pictures. Yeah. And so they created these incredible works of art. Mm-hmm. Two of the most famous are the Book of Kells, which is this is from, I believe, and uh, the Lindisfarne Gospels, which was, you can't even say written, it was created at one of their most famous uh, famous monasteries. And we were there. Uh, yeah, word and image, and you create these beautiful works of art. Yes. They also valued authenticity and simplicity. So one of the Celtic church's strengths, listen, it had never been entangled with institutions of power. Never. That's what happened, remember, what we saw last week with the Roman church and the Roman empire. They weren't doing it on purpose. It wasn't, there was a vacuum, and they stepped into it. That it was a different kind of a vacuum that the Celtic church filled. It's not about right or wrong in that sense. It's just that they had never been entangled with political power. In Rome, there was wealth and power. There was a religious hierarchy with a militaristic chain of command, obedience to authority. Why? Because that's what the empire had been based on. They were just doing what they knew. There were grand vestments and ornate church buildings and and ornate homes for for clergy. But in in Celtic Christianity, it was simplicity. It was community, humility, and poverty. 
that were unquestioned values and practices. Why? Because that's what they saw when they looked at Jesus. That's what he told them in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's the way that they wanted to live. A couple more here. They valued mm-hmm. pilgrimage. I asked to talk about this one. <laughs> they believe the wild goose of the spirit is loose in the world. And it's encouraged. It's not only loose, it's encouraging God's people to spread their wings, travel mm-hmm. to far off lands. Yes, to spread the gospel. Maybe even to get an earthly glimpse of paradise. That was the objective of their most famous pilgrim. This is a great story. Sixth century monk named Brendan the Navigator. <laughs> he and 14 other monks hopped into a little round boat called a coracle, which is impossible to steer. And they headed out across the Atlantic Ocean, just letting the waves take them where they would. He was convinced that paradise, which was in his mind the Garden of Eden, lay somewhere to the west of Ireland, across the Atlantic. And so they headed out, and they had a bunch of adventures. They discovered islands no one, no human had seen before. They had encounters with what they thought were sea monsters. (laughs) And they eventually landed in the land that they concluded was paradise. And they stayed briefly, and somehow they made it back to Ireland and told their tale. And it's part legend, it's part history. Some people believe, by the way, that they made it all the way to America. This is paradise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, who knows Mm -hmm. but you see for the Celts pilgrimage was not just about travel and the same thing was true for Brendan and his his fellow monks it was also a spiritual journey Mm -hmm. that you embarked on without actually worrying too much about the destination every point on the journey is destination and arrival and home and that's the nature of our spirituality in our lives we're always beginning. We're always arriving. Mm-hmm. So pilgrimage arose from a passionate inner desire to go into the unknown, to come to know God and self more truly. It demonstrates stunning trust in God's guidance and an ability to let go of expectation and outcome. Yep. In other words, we know the way by walking it. Now, I, I will resist the temptation to say more because those of you who were here six years ago heard more than you wanted to. But <laughs> I did a pilgrimage in Spain in 2017. I walked through some of those ancient Celtic settlements in western Spain, in Galicia, where the Gauls had settled. And I did it for much of the same reason. I resolved, like most pilgrims on Camino, the Camino is not just the road. That's what the Spanish word means. The Camino is the experience itself. The Camino is the way. And I came back from that determined to always be on pilgrimage with God. I don't need to go to Spain to do it. Mm-hmm. To pilgrimage with God through all of life. And it's a very, very Celtic kind of thing to do. Yeah, so, yes, the, they were called peregrinatios. Uh, the ones who would kneel down on the shoreline, offer their lives to God, and step into a boat, a coracle, without oars. Mm-hmm. No oars. In and Spain, they would we were set called peregrinos. Yep, that's the that same, same word. word. Yep. And so whether it was the outward journey, you know, to foreign lands, and they would say, we're going to the place of our resurrection, because most of them knew they weren't coming back. They would either die on the way and be resurrected physically, or they would reach a place of paradise wherever God would take them, and they'd die there. Either way. They win. 
but it wasn't only about going out. They also valued home and hospitality, all right? So in the both and Celtic world, God was as present in the familiar and local as, as in the unknown foreign destination. So they valued hospitality greatly and hospitality to all people. They saw that God, Jesus, was both host and guest, and so were each of God's people. So they welcomed friend and stranger alike as they would welcome Christ. And they wanted to learn. They were always wanting to hear the stories. They were always wanting to learn, what, what, what do you know about God's wisdom? What do you know about God's truth? What have you experienced of Christ and the wild goose? So early Christian, Celtic Christians were hospitable to God's wisdom. They were able to discern God's truth, listen, wherever it was found. Wherever it was found. That's what we're kind of talking about in our adult class. Even, even if they didn't completely agree with the person presenting they were able to listen through because there was something of God's truth and wisdom if that person knows Christ. Because God loved them all, right? No one person or group could claim to possess all of God's wisdom and all of God's truth. And remember, they were doing this at a time when most of Christendom in the West was aggressively attacking anyone who didn't agree with them as evil. So there's something here we can move forward and we can really learn from our Celtic brothers and sisters. They saw life then as a loving journey of relationship. So they made sure everyone had a companion. And the Celtic name for this companion was Anamkara. A soul friend is what it means. Everyone in the Christian community was given an Anamkara, a soul friend and was also expected to serve as a soul friend to at least one other person in the community. And what a precious gift, right? To have at least one person who welcomes you exactly as you are, who listens deeply and prays for you no matter what, and speaks the truth in love, always watching out for your soul as you're watching out for theirs. What would it be like in the church today if everyone had an Anamkara? Someone that we could truly feel at home with, not judged, loved. Then maybe we would have a fresh sense of community. This is the last mm -hmm. of the values here. The Celts yeah. value community. When they built monasteries and convents, just like the Roman Christians had done, they were more likely to, do, to, to build them in the center of town, <laughs> in the village, rather than off in some remote place where you stay away from people. And, and, and when they built them, and when they built the churches, everyone was welcomed and honored. So they included people that other people in that time period often did not. They didn't ignore or judge the disabled among them, thinking they were judged by God or whatever. They cared for them, mm -hmm. just like Christ had told them to, care for the least of these. Instead of marginalizing women, Celtic status gave, uh, society gave them equal status, just like Jesus did, social honor. Women served as leaders in the spiritual community. The Celtic church believed that the goodness of God was for children, too. Yep. Again, far more than what was done most other parts of the world. Young children were educated in the monasteries. They were accepted as part of the church. Not future, now. You're part of the church. Yeah, they were even expected to prophesy in church services. 
And that includes not only forth-telling the truth of the Word of God to teach, but also kind of foretelling in the experiential way about God. Wow. For all of these people and others, there was a home, what Joanne was talking about. There was a mm-hmm. place to belong. There was a God who saw them, and there was a community that honored them. Yeah. Now, again, we're fans of the Celtic tradition, so we, we may be a little biased in the way that we're presenting it. I don't know. But. I, still, I do. I like the Benedictines, too. I like yeah. things about the Western Christianity as well. Wow. It all sounds rather lovely, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And much of it was and is, is lovely because we're doing this today not just to say, oh, wasn't that nice? It's an invitation, like we've done the others, to recover something because each of these traditions offers us treasures to bring forward for our own time for our own spiritual lives, for the way that we do community, for the way that we evangelize in our world, in our generation, instead of being stuck in a little box and thinking that this is what we have to operate within, these people of the past, they blow up our little boxes and show us all sorts of things that God has been up to and ways of understanding God that, that can enrich our own spiritual lives. Yes. So we've been using the phrase, for every message in this series, we're looking backward in order to look forward. So what do we look backward and see among the Celts? We've given you about 40 minutes of of stuff here. Let me summarize just a few. An invitation to integrate our faith more fully into all of life. To see Christ in everything. Mm -hmm. In the making of our beds and tending to our kids and what we do at work. And not just in those things that we would consider religious. Like what we're doing here on Sunday morning together. And there's the invitation to see and create beauty. For the glory of God, to express through our hands and our words and our imaginations what we already know of of the beauty of God's goodness and God's creation. Do not leave it just for the professionals. You have a story. You have art. You have beauty. Express it in a way that gives glory to God. And then an invitation to live in wonder. The Celtic tradition is of faithful believers living out an extraordinary awareness of Christ's deep love for them, an amazement at that. Yes. And Christ's abiding presence with them in ordinary life. And Be Thou My Vision is one of those old uh, Celtic hymns that has continued to the time, to this time. That's, that's, a, that's a prayer for wonder. Let me see you in everything mm-hmm. and live in that wonder and glory. Yes. So what spiritual practices were important to them? Well, let's just list some of the practices we've already described. Honoring God's books of Scripture and creation. Um, Incarnational, wholly embodied living and worship. Prayer as life. Life as prayer. Authenticity, simplicity, humility, equality, hospitality, community, care for those in need. Anamkara, pilgrimage encircling prayers of trust and protection, relational evangelism, communal shared mission, to name a few. They offer us so much. And we're going to just shift a little because each week we are closing the, the message by practicing a practice. This week we're going to engage with another important Celtic Christian spiritual practice, Blessing, huge in this 
culture of Christian, this Christian community, blessing was paramount because they celebrated life as blessing. See, life and all, everything in it is a gift from the God of life, whose infinite love, infinite goodness, who surrounds us with that love and goodness every moment of our lives. And as I've said several times, they just never got over the wonder of it all. So what rose in the grat- out of the gratitude of their hearts, of their spirits, was blessing. They blessed God. They blessed each other. They blessed all that God had made from apple trees to, to the seas, to the sun, moon, and stars. Blessing. It was a way of offering gratitude in faith that God's goodness would continue. And to bless is to speak for them. This is speaking what they would believe to be God's deepest desires on ourselves, on others, trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to make those words real. When you came into the sanctuary, you received a handout, hopefully. If you didn't, just put up your hand, raise a hand, and, uh, and, and if Usher will bring you if one. If you're with us online, this template, this handout mm-hmm. was posted, to, came live on Facebook 12 minutes ago. Yep. So you can find it there. And you'll, be, and just, you'll need something to write with here so you can pull something out. Or if you need something, put your hand up. On the handout, what are you going to see? You are going to see a simple fill-in-the-blank pattern for a Celtic blessing. And you're going to notice it has threes in it. So just looking at this pattern, just notice it begins with God. Bless, O God. Fill in the blank. And all you do is write a, a phrase, descriptive phrase of God. Bless, O God, my healer. Bless, O God, my Savior. Bless, O God, my Redeemer. Whatever it is in this moment, okay? And then um, you'll see it begins with God, and it moves to whatever or whomever you wish to bless. Bless, O oh God, my healer. Bless to me my body. Bless to me my arthritis. You know, bless to me my spouse, my dog, who I had to take to the vet, so I was blessing her. She's, she's fine, but yeah, it was a week. Um, bless my friend. Bless my computer. Seriously, because write anything, anything. And then you'll see that, and I'm going to read you an example of a blessing that I wrote for my cottage when I moved in in 2011, but I'll give you an example. But on the template, so bless, O God, description of God, bless to me, whatever, whomever you want to be blessing, and then three things, three ways that you want God to bless that whomever or whatever. And then you repeat Bless, O God, and you can put the same term in, or you can put another descriptive phrase. Bless to me, my, it's either the same thing or maybe something else or a variation. And three more, so that, right? Opportunity, add more details. And then the closing, bless to me, my, whatever it is you're wanting blessed, O God, closing. Simple. Let me read, oops, let me read an example to you because all the instructions are on the handout. And the example's at the bottom of the handout. Bless, O God, my eternal home. Bless to me my cottage. In it may peace be regained. In it may presence be revealed. In it may paradise be restored. Bless, O God, our eternal home. Bless to all my cottage. 
that all who entered enter may be healed by your tender touch, may be known in your loving gaze, and may be united in your reconciling embrace. Bless to you, O God, my cottage, that in it you may welcome each of your children home. Okay, an example. It doesn't have to be fancy. You can also only do the top part if you want. But what we want to do is, in the last few minutes that we have here, is just to give you a few minutes to go ahead. Just write something down as a prayer, as a blessing. Okay? I'm going to give, we're going to give you a few moments to do that. And, of course, you can start it here and take it with you, too. And hopefully, you know, as you're writing, what begins to rise in you is that gratitude. You start to notice deep desire, the deep desire you have for that person, for God, for whatever it is that you're wanting blessed. Right? And you can keep writing, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't offer. If anyone wants to, to share your blessing, because the idea is, you know, once you have a blessing that you want to offer, you want to offer the words, you want to offer the blessing, and hopefully those who are there, or the ones receiving, would say, amen. May it be so, God. May it be real in this person's life, you know, in our world. So I want to give you an opportunity. You don't have to. But if you'd like to read your blessing, and then the congregation can say, Amen. May it be so. Anybody? I know, yeah, I know this is a risky one. 
<laughs> I had a little advance warning, but I oh, wrote did you one write here. one? I wrote one here while we were yeah. Oh, good for you. So you gonna you read mind? it? I could. Oh, good, please. I have a new job at work. So bless, O oh God, giver of meaning. Mm. Bless to me my new job. May you give meaning to my life. May it fulfill my calling from you. May it glorify you each day. Bless, O God, giver of delights. Bless to me my new job, so that I may be content, so that others may receive grace, Mm. so that you may be delighted. Bless to me my new job, O God, creator of all new things. Uh, And the congregation says, amen. May it be so, Tony. Okay, well, maybe some point at a Q&A, we'll circle back and you can bring your blessings and we can do that. We have a closing blessing for all of you. And it's related to this Celtic value of home. It's a blessing. It's a fairly modern one, but it's in the Celtic tradition. To come home to yourself. Mm -hmm. May all that is unforgiven in you be released. And may your fears yield their deepest tranquility. May all that is unlived in you blossom into a future graced with love. Amen. Amen. May it be so. Go in that Amen. Blessing. Thank Thanks. you again for listening so well.